Would you turn your Bible, please, to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. I've been impressed with this wonderful music tonight. Hadn't it been a blessing? All of those who have sung, God bless you, the choir and Sarah and the silver quartet and the Patisse singing that wonderful part of I'll Fly Away and the men's quartet. Wasn't that something? If we never meet again this side of heaven. Thank you for that. And then Brother Lloyd, I want to tell you how much I love you and thank God for that song. Let the Lord lights be burning and that's what we are. We're the Lord lights. Jesus is the light of the world. We're the Lord lights along the shore. Jesus said to us, ye are the light of the world. Now when Jesus said that, he was reflecting something that had been true all through the Old Testament dispensation. It had not been put in words like that, but the men of God of the Old Testament knew it and understood it, and they said it in a different way. And the passage we look at tonight is a passage that just reminds us that we're the lower lights and we need to keep burning and glowing for Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this wonderful time tonight, the praises to the King. Brother Buster's led us in, all those wonderful songs and the emotions that they've aroused in our hearts of love to you and memory of other days. We thank you. We pray now that our hearts will be fixed upon the Lord. May there, if there's one person here tonight who is not sure he's going to heaven, may thy spirit bring conviction and draw him to Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 2 of Second Kings. And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elisha, Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold your peace. Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here while I, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha, Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry, I pray thee here, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he, and he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off, and they stood by the Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters, and they were divided to the one side and to the other, so that they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I am taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and separated them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind in
And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. And when the sons of the prophets who were looking on at the Jordan saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. And they said unto him, Behold now, there are with thy servants fifty strong men. Let them go, we pray thee, and seek thy master, lest perhaps the Spirit of the Lord hath taken him up and cast him upon some mountain and into some valley. And he said, Ye shall not send. And when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, Send. They sent therefore fifty men, and they sought three days and found him not. And when they came again to him, for he tarried at Jericho, he said unto them, Did not I say unto you, Go not? Now that's all the scripture we're going to read in that passage tonight. And I'm going to speak to you on the subject, the chariots of fire and the horsemen thereof, or a young man who would not be left behind. Now, when you read that phrase that Elisha said from his heart, that unusual scripture, look at verse 12. Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. What comes to your mind when you read that? Elisha was a young man that God had his hand on. Elijah was that thunderous Niagara-like prophet who suddenly appeared in the days of Ahab when the worship of Jehovah was almost exterminated. Ahab and Jezebel had made a covenant to wipe out the worship of Jehovah and to instill in the hearts and lives of Israel the worship of Baal, which was an immoral kind of worship. It was a religion, but a false religion. It had some type of godliness, but had no power thereof. And Elijah stood against Ahab the king and Jezebel the queen and against all the prophets of Baal and against all the people who had swallowed hook, line, and sinker all the teachings and the false teachings of those false prophets. And in that day, he declared there will be no rain, a, a drought, a judgment from God because you have forsaken the Lord God. And he didn't put any time on it. And then he went and hid himself. Elijah and Jezebel got, Ahab and Jezebel got so furious and so mad at, at Elijah. They sent everywhere trying to find him. But God hid Elijah during those years. And it didn't rain for three years. And then God spoke to Elijah and he said, now you go and declare that I'm going to send rain. And I want you to tell Ahab to gather all the prophets of Baal over to Mount Carmel. And we're going to have a contest to see who's God in this nation. And after three years of drought, no crops, very little water, most of the brooks had dried up. If you've ever been to Israel, you'll know that if they went very long without water, that nation would be in trouble. And when the three years were ex extinguished, they'd gone by, Elijah came down and he met one of the prophets named Obadiah. Now Obadiah 
was a great man of God. Elijah did not know it. He thought that all the prophets of God had been exterminated under Ahab. But, a, but Obadiah had hidden several thousand of the prophets during that reign of Ahab and Jezebel. And when Elijah met Obadiah, he said, you go tell the king that it's going to rain and that I'm going to meet him. And Obadiah was scared to death. He said, well, if I go tell the king that I've seen you and then you disappear again, God sends you somewhere else and you don't appear to the king, why, the king will kill me. Elijah said, I'm going to see the king. You go and tell him that you've seen me. So Obadiah told the king, and the king shivered in his boots, and Elijah met the king, and he said, it's going to rain. That hadn't rained for three years. And Elijah and his servant went over a little hill, and Elijah prayed, and he said to his servant, now you go over and look and see if you see the rain coming. And the servant came back and said, I see no rain, there's not even a cloud, it's just all sun. And, Ahab said, and, and Elijah said, it's going to rain. He went over and prayed a little more. He said, you go back and see if you see the clouds. And there were no clouds. Elijah prayed some more. And he said, you go over and see if you see the clouds. And the servant went over and he said, why, sir, I see a little tiny cloud like the size of a man's hand. He said, you go and tell the Ahab to prepare for a big rain and the rain came you remember that marvelous passage in James Elijah a like man of passions like we are prayed and it didn't rain and he prayed again and God sent the rain he had influence with God that's the kind of man we're dealing with now there came a day when God said Elijah I'm going to take you home You've borne the battle in the heat of the day. I'm going to take you home. Beloved, there's coming a day when every one of us will go home. Are you positive your home is with the Lord? I am going to a city where the roses never fade. Is that the testimony of your life? Do you know for sure you've been delivered from the bondage of death and sin and the grave and hell and you're on your way to heaven by the precious blood of Christ? God said, Elijah, I'm going to take you home. And what Elijah did not know is that he told Elisha, I'm going to take Elijah home. He told the sons of the prophets, I'm going to take Elijah home. And so Elijah was at Gilgal. Now at Gilgal, there was a school of the prophets, like a seminary, like a great Bible college. And the Bible record says that Elijah went with Elisha away from Gilgal. And Elijah said, now, Elisha, you stay here, as if he were giving him an assignment, you stay here and take care of the school of the prophets. You stay here, I'm going on. But Elisha had in his heart a Vesuvius. The man that he loved, the man that he honored, was gonna be taken away that day. He said, I'm going with you. No, you stay here, I'm going with you. All right. He said, I've got to go to Bethel. Now, down at Bethel was another school of the prophets. It was as if Elijah was going to go and make a farewell address to each of those groups of prophets. He was going to say something to them, give them a challenge, and then move on. Elijah still did not know that Elisha and the schools of the prophets knew that this was his homecoming day. So they went down to Bethel. And Elijah did what he was supposed to do there and perhaps met with the school of prophets, met with those young men. And then Elijah said to Elisha, you stay here, you tarry here, I'm going on down to Jericho. And Elisha said, sir, I'm going too. Elijah said, no, you stay here. Elisha said, no, I'm not going to leave you, I'm going with you. They came down to Jericho, and down at Jericho, another school of the prophets, and Elijah spoke to the school of prophets in all probability. Maybe prayed with them, gave them that great farewell address, like we read in the 20th chapter of Acts, 
where Paul gave a farewell address to the city of to the Ephesian Christians and he said I have not ceased to declare the whole counsel of God and day after day for three years I've been faithful going into the homes and from house to house with tears telling you about Jesus Elijah said something like that to those school those men of the who were the school of the prophets and then Elijah said I'm going down to the Jordan now Elisha you stay here and take care of the school of prophets and Elisha said no sir I'm going with you I'm going with you I want you to see a young man who would not leave the shadow of the influence of the man of God he refused to leave him he said I'm going to be with you whenever I read this story I can't think help but think of Joshua and Moses Moses had some children he had some sons you can read about them over there in the book of Deuteronomy and the other in Exodus and other places but his sons were busy they were busy with the world the flesh and the devil they were busy going to the picture shows and the dances and all the ball games and they were so busy they did not have time to be with Moses they said, well, he's just an old fuddy-duddy. He's the old man. Doesn't know anything better than to go up in Mount Sinai and stay up there 40 days. He doesn't know anything better than to just talk to God all the time. We don't have time for the old man that was their daddy. But not so with Joshua. Joshua got as close as he could to the man of God. He stood with him. He stuck with him. And when the time came for Moses to go home the mantle of Moses leadership fell on Joshua now beloved there will come a day when the mantle of spiritual leadership has to be cast on somebody else those who have led us the great deacons of our church the great men of God who have served in this place spiritual giants and champions of the faith like Billy Graham and Jack Van Imp and all the other great men of God who have been servants of the Lord God's gonna say I'm gonna take you home today but there have to be somebody there needs to be somebody who has been close enough to the man of God to the Lord God himself to take that spiritual mantle of leadership and so they came down to the Jordan and Elisha went with Elijah down to the Jordan and Elijah was so over overjoyed and and so amazed that here was a young man that would dare to pay the price to be close to the man of God and Elijah turned to Elisha and said you tell me what you want what can I do for you you've stuck close by you've been faithful in all things what can I do for you and Elisha said Sir, when you're taken home, I would like to have a double portion of your mantle. Now the cloak that they wore was a symbol of the spiritual power and authority. It was called a mantle. It was indeed like a cloak. In the cloak itself, there was no efficacy, there was no power. It was simply a symbol. And Elisha said, I want a double portion of your cloak of power, of your cloak of authority, of your cloak, your mantle. And Elijah said, sir, if you see me when I'm taken home, if you're there, you'll get what you ask. If you're not there, you won't get it. What he was really saying is, Elisha, if you keep on keeping on, if you keep on being faithful, if you stay close by my side, if you stick close to the word of God and the will of God and the way of God, then when God is through with me, you'll have that anointing. Well, Elisha made a decision in his heart. He was going to do it. Now, beloved, <clears throat> there are men and women in this room tonight and some young people that God wants to use. He wants the mantle of spiritual leadership to fall on you. 
He wants you to be a somebody for God. The decision is within you. Will you keep on keeping on? Will you be so busy with all the things that are going on that you have not time for God? That you have not time for the things of God? I've been impressed through the years with some great noble people that I've known. I think of Bob Norman, preacher Bob Norman. He's pastor over in the mountains of Kentucky. Bob Norman was a student at Western University. Several of our people went to, would go to see him. He visited our church one time. I went to see him a number of times. I was always impressed with Bob, but he couldn't ever get faithful. He'd come once in a while, stay out, stay out, and stay out. He had been saved in a little country church over in Monroe County. He knew he was saved, but he was away from God. One day over in the dorm, we just had prayer together. I said, Bob, God wants to use you. I'm praying that you will get close enough to the Lord that you'll hear the whispers of God in your heart. Bob was willing to take that challenge started coming to church regularly. It wasn't long until God made an impression on his heart that he wanted to be used, he, God wanted to use him. Bob kept coming. And when Bob gave his life back to the Lord, he was a, a red-blooded, all-American young man. He had played football in high school. Everybody liked him, he was popular on the campus. Started coming to church. But he didn't date. And some of the young people would just sort of raise their eyebrows and say, what in the world, Bob? Why don't you date? Why well, he'd say, God's going to send the right one along at the right time. Those that stayed in the house with him over on Chestnut told me this, and I asked him if it were true. They said when Bob would go to bed at night, he'd take his Bible, put it close to his chest, and hug it. He'd say, this is going to be my companion until God gives me the human companion he wants me to have. He didn't miss a thing. He was here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, visitation, everything, all involved. One night at teen time, it always stayed for teen time. One night at teen time, there was a pretty girl here. I knew her. She'd been here a couple of times before. And Bob called me off right after teen time. He said, who is that girl? I said, her name is Elaine. He said, well, would you introduce me to her? He said, I want to marry her. <laughs> First time he'd ever seen her. I introduced them. They talked a few minutes right here at church. He went home, she went home. And they came to know each other through the services. I never saw them talk during church. Matter of fact, they seldom even sat together. He was busy in the Lord's work. She was busy. But she was a Methodist. And when she would come, she would, of course, just come to visit. And Bob told me one, he, he, he asked me, he said, did you know that she's a Methodist? I said, well, yes, I know she's a Methodist. She's a fine Christian. He said, well, I can't marry until she's a Baptist. He said, God's called me to preach. I'm going to be preaching all my life. And I've asked God for a companion. He's told me that's the girl I'm to marry. Now you pray with me that she'll become a Baptist by conviction, not just because of me. And so the Lord arranged times when we could talk and have conversation. And, and little by little she heard the preaching and she understood the eternal security of the believer. And she understood some of these great truths. She came one day and she said, I believe what the Word of God says. I've been a Baptist all along. I just was a member of a Methodist church. And she, I had the privilege of baptizing her. And later, Bob and Elaine married. What did I tell you that story for? I told it to say Bob didn't compromise to get the girl that God wanted him to have. He didn't experiment with a bunch of different girls and try this girl and drop her and break her heart and try some other girl and drop her and break her heart. 
and to sit in church and talk and jabber and all that kind of thing. He committed his life to seek the will of God. Now, beloved, God is looking for somebody who will say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And then stay close by the will of God, the plan of God, the purpose of God long enough so that God can whisper in that man's heart, that woman's heart, his plan and purpose and will. That is not only true of teens and kids, it's true of those in adult life, young adult, middle adult, older adult life. Over at Camp Joy recently, in the last Bible conference, there was a man in his 50s who walked down the aisle one night and he said, I'm yielding my life to the will of God. I had talked with him earlier in the day. He said, God has been dealing with my heart. He said, when I was a young man, God began to deal with me and I wouldn't stay close to him. And I substituted other things and I let those other things get in the way. He said, later on in mid-adult life, God began to deal with me again and I got away from God. He said, it's taken 40 years since the time God first put his hand on me, but today I want to yield to the will of God. And that man walked down the aisle that night in his 50s, I think he was 53 or 54, giving him, himself to the Lord. Now, beloved, Elisha said, if, he said, where you're going, Elijah, I'm going to go. I'm going to be close to God. I'm going to find out what God wants me to do, and I want to do it. And when Elijah was taken into heaven, Elisha stood there. He looked up and he said, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof. What did he mean? He meant that while the nation depended upon its armaments, and its chariots, and its horsemen, and its ammunition to fight the battles, they didn't really have to do that. The one thing that would really count was a man willing to stand in the gap and make up the hedge and get in touch with God and would stand there and having done all he would stand. He was really saying it was because Elijah was God's man during all this period. That's the reason Ahab wasn't exterminated. That's the reason Israel didn't go down the drain. It was not Israel's strong army. It was Elijah's strong God. It was not Eli Israel's strong dependence upon its armies and its forces and its military, but rather it was a man of God who was so in touch with God that God could speak to him and draw a whole nation back to him. My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof, the most important thing in Israel during that period of time was not King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. It was not all those men who served in the armed forces. It was the man of God. It was somebody who was willing to listen while God spoke. Amen. Now, beloved, is there somebody here like that? A man, a woman, a deacon, a, a wife, a mother, a father, a little child, a teenager, who would say, Lord, I want to be somebody you can use. And I want to give you what I think are six reasons why this young man <clears throat> succeeded. Why Elisha got Elijah's mantle. A young man who would not be left out. Number one, he was called of God. In other words, he was God's child. Elisha knew about the Lord, but he came to know the Lord personally. You see, it's not enough to know about God. A person has to know God personally. I know about George Washington. He's one of my heroes. 
George, I've been to Mount Vernon. I've been to the grave where he was buried. You can go there and stand outside those bars and see the sarcophagus in which he, his body is. And there's Martha. It's one of the few places in the world you can go and see the actual coffins in which these people were buried. They're right there. They're above ground. You can stand there and see them. I've been to Mount Vernon, been through the house, saw the bed that he died in. I know that he had some kind of a virus and they bled him. That was the diagnosis and that was the treatment in those days. And they actually say that they killed George Washington by bleeding him to death. George Washington knelt in the snow and prayed for his troops. George Washington went forward in the First Baptist Church in Washington and made a profession of faith and was baptized by immersion while he was president. I expect to see George Washington again, but listen, I don't know him personally. I know all about him. I've read a lot about him. I want to read more about him, but I don't know him personally. I've read about Jesus. I've read in the book, There's Life for a Look. I've read about his birth at Bethlehem. I've read about how he touched blind eyes and caused them to see and interrupted funeral processions and raised dead people to life. He touched limb, lame limbs and caused people to walk again. I've read about Jesus' great sermon on the mount and the, and the time when he was on the sea and he whispered, peace be still, and the winds and the waves obeyed him. I, re I read about the time he went to the tombs and this man was out of his mind and didn't have any clothes on. He was just about crazy. And Jesus whispered, peace be still and rebuked the demons. And the man was clothed and in his right mind. I read about Calvary, how they led Jesus, the meek lamb of God out to Golgotha. And there between heaven and earth, the son of God, the son of righteousness, the only one who had never sinned was lifted up on a cross and he cried out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I read all that. I heard all that. I still didn't know him. But there came a night. After I'd been under conviction for a long time, after a Jewish lady asked me on a train, are you a Christian? I had to say no. There came a night. I was in church and they were singing, Jesus is tenderly calling thee home. And I bowed my head and I said, Jesus. I need you. I've wanted you a long time, but I'm, I'm afraid of all these people. It seemed like Jesus said, Richard, if you'll trust me, just take one step. I'll go with you the rest of the way. And I took a step out into the aisle, and Jesus began to go with me, and he's never left me. Now, listen, I don't only know about him. I know him. I know him. I know him. Elisha had known about God. But under the ministry of Elijah, he came to know God. And he was called the child of God. He was called to be a child of God. In Romans, the eighth chapter, whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he did predestinate them, he also called. Have you been called? Has God knocked on your heart's door, tugged at your heart's door? When Bud Lee was here, he sang that song, Somebody's Knocking. Did you hear Jesus knocking at your door? Have you heard him? Did you respond? Did you say, come in, Lord Jesus, come in today, come in to stay, take all my sins away, wash me in the blood of the Lamb? If you did it, then you can be called a child of God. And the main reason Elisha was able to succeed and to get the mantle of spiritual power and authority that Elijah had is because he was willing to be called a child of God. Now, when you're called a child of God, that holds with it not only the honor, but the stigma. And there are some people not willing to bear the stigma. Did you know that it's not easy to be a Christian? Some of you are going back to school this week. Public school, Christian school, wherever you're going, college, going to school. Did you know it's not going to be easy? Some of you have become Christians this summer. Some of you have confessed your faith in Jesus this summer, been baptized. And when you go back to school, the run-of-the-mill kids are going to cuss and swear and tell dirty jokes and write ugly words on the bathroom walls. They're going to do that. That's the way the world operates. 
What are you going to do? You're called a child of God. You're called a son of God. The only way you're going to have successful spiritual power is to be willing to accept the stigma and wear a badge of a Christian, which is honor. As adults, we go out in the workaday world of cheating and dog eat dog and people don't care about anybody else except themselves. How are you going to respond to all that? You going to get in line with them and do the same thing they do? Or are you going to pay the price to say, I want the spiritual authority and power that Elisha got from Elijah? Secondly, Elisha loved the Lord. When Elijah was going down to Bethel, going down to Jericho, going down to the Jordan, he said, Elisha, you stay here. He gave him a good out. And you know, some people, all they're looking for is an out. You give them a little out. You know, moms wake up on a rainy morning and say, oh, Billy, oh, Joe, it's raining out. Let's stay home today. And that's all you wanted. He said, sure, let's stay home. I'll sleep in. I'm tired. Or you wake up on another day and it's snowing. You say, oh, I'm scared of the snow. I think I'll stay home today. You wake up on another day and it's Super Bowl day. Or it's basketball day. Or it's football day. And you have a revival meeting going on at your church. What are you going to do? Well, it's just one night. Just one night. That one night may make the difference in your life. See, so you put it on trial. Are you going to bear the stigma of loving the Lord and His work? Elisha, you just stay here where it's comfortable. You can be here at Bethel. You can be here at Jericho. You know all these people. You don't have to go with me. It's lonely out there. Leadership is lonely. Elisha said, I'm going, I'm going with you. I'm not going to stay behind. The world behind me, the cross before me. I won't turn back. I won't turn back. You know, I've been deeply concerned about sometimes, years ago, I've seen a lot of parents come and pray for their children. In recent years, I've seen a lot of children come and pray for their parents. I've been deeply concerned about parents who stand in the way of children coming to God. It's a dangerous thing. Jesus said it'd be better that a millstone be put around your neck and you be cast in the depths of the sea than for you to stand in the way of one of these little ones. We had a young boy years ago made a profession of faith in this church here, came forward. And I noticed he didn't come back that night, went to see him. And his mother was on a war path. She said, I just have you know that my boy has never sinned. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't know anything about being saved. And I'm not going to let him come back to church. I went to see them a number of times. He didn't come. Years went by, and one day I got a telephone call, that same mother crying. She said, my boy's in jail. Would you go see him? I went. Don't stand in the way when the children want to come to Jesus. There were years when we had a large number of young people in our church. One of the most precious girls we had, precious, wonderful girl. We had activities going on all the time. Had something, I'm, I think, almost every week for kids, teens. And this mother would call me on the phone and say, she just have too many things. She goes to school, she's in high school, and she's talented, she's in this thing, and this thing, and this thing. And she's always having to make a decision whether to come to church or go to this thing. She says, she needs to go to these things and get culturally developed. 
that girl at that time had spiritual interest and involvement in the things of God. But she listened to her mother. She got culturally developed. Today, she's divorced and does not serve God, doesn't even go to church. She got culturally developed because that's the way the world operates. That's the way they live. It's a dangerous thing to stand in the way of somebody who wants to love God with all of his heart. I've known some men and some women who wanted to serve the Lord with all their heart and some husband or some wife objected and said, you're putting too much time in church. You're going here too much. And so they withdrew to their spiritual detriment. Now they don't go at all. Let thy mantle fall on me, Elisha said. But there's a price, Elijah said. What is the price, Elisha said? The price is love for the Lord and his work. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Thirdly, the third reason Elisha was able to get the mantle of Elijah, he had a yielded spirit of humility. He knew he needed something he didn't have. You ever talk to somebody that knows it all? You try to tell them, so oh, I've heard that. Let me tell you something else. Their mouth is yak, 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 yak. They just talk all the time because they know it all. You can't tell them anything. Beloved, if you're going to be used by God, no matter what age you are, there has to be a spirit of humility that says, I need something I don't have. I need some instruction. I need to be taught. When God made it clear to me that he was calling me to preach, I was so afraid. I was scared to death. Why, when I got saved, if that preacher had asked me to give a testimony, I'd have fainted. I, didn't know, I couldn't have said anything. I didn't know what to say. I had a wise training union director in the junior department, youth, junior youth department. And I told them if you ever gave me a part on the program, I wouldn't be back. I did. I meant it because I was scared. I couldn't get up and talk. And I didn't know, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know to say, well, you just let me come and all that. You know, I didn't know how to say all that. But anyway, this teacher, this leader, wrote out some scripture cards for everybody. Passed them out and said, now today everybody's going to read this scripture, one of these scripture cards. And I remember this. First time I'd ever read in church out loud. And Joel read his and Mary read hers and so on. They got around to me and I read it and I heard my voice and I didn't die or anything. I didn't faint. That's the first time I ever did it. God began to put in my heart a desire to preach. I couldn't believe it was there, but I was still scared. And so I went to church one night, the Wall Street Church in Louisville. There was nobody in the auditorium. And I got my Bible and went up and stood in the pulpit. And I read a scripture verse out loud. And a voice said, that was great. You did a good job. It scared me to death. It was a lady named Teresa Addington. She sang in the choir. And I did not know it. She was sitting back in the back in the dark part. And she was praying. And she heard me. That was an encouragement. What I'm telling you is, you have to qualify yourself when God begins to put his hand on you. You can't say, well, I can't teach. I don't know how to teach. I can't sing. I don't know how to sing. I can't preach. I don't know how to preach. I can't run a bus. I'd be scared to death to try to drive a bus. Well, I can't go soul winning. I don't know what to say. Somebody may ask me some question that I don't know the answer to. Beloved, if God is in your heart and you're called by God, to be saved, you're called by God to be a servant. If you want the spiritual mantle of authority, you need to get yourself ready. You need to train yourself. Elisha said, I want to be near you, Elijah. I want to get all the training I can get. And the reason 
Elisha could get the spiritual mantle was because his spirit of humility. He was teachable. He let God speak to him. Number four, Elisha did not care what the others said. Every time he went from, like when he left Gilgal and went down to, went down to Bethel, went, left Bethel and went down to Jericho, they said, did you know that your prophet Elijah is going to be taken away from you today? Did you know that? They were trying to make fun of him. Here he was with him all the time. Hey, preacher boy, you're sticking close to him, aren't you? That's what they were saying. And Elisha didn't pay any attention to him. He didn't care what others thought, what the others said. He stayed close by the one that he could learn from. Now, beloved, if God's going to use you, either as a Sunday school teacher or as a deacon or as a person that God wants to use as a soul winner, as a Christian out in the marketplace, if God's going to use you, there's a price to pay. And one of the prices is not to care what others say. Let them make fun of you. Let them talk about you. Let them call you whatever they want to call you. What did they do to Jesus? They ended up killing him. They may do the same thing to you. I didn't bargain for that. Remember, the will of God is always bigger than you bargained for. Always. But it's the safest place in the world. Fifthly, Elisha was able to get the mantle of spiritual authority and leadership from Elijah because he had the discipline to stay with it. He didn't quit. He just kept on going. Elisha, why don't you stay at Bethel? Elisha, why don't you stay at Jericho? Elisha, you can just stay here at Jordan. Elijah said, sir, I want a double portion of your spirit. Elijah said, if you're with me when I'm taken, you can have it. And Elisha decided, I'm not going to turn back. I'm going to keep on going. I'm going to keep on going. And he did not quit. You know, sometimes we get quititis. Come to church a few Sundays and we just quit. There's some of you who've recently been saved. Thank God for you. God bless you. Didn't we have a great revival? And you've, you've either been baptized or you're going to be baptized. Now the devil's going to tempt you to go a few Sundays and then say, ah, oh, I've got some other things to do. Let's stay home and watch television tonight. Uh, it's too far to church. The preacher preaches too long and, and we have to get up and go to school the next day and all that kind of thing. You, you know that. Hadn't the devil said that? Just sort of shake your head. You know that. Sure. Well, that's the devil. That isn't God telling you that. That's Satan. Now, if you're going to get the authority of God, if you're going to have that spiritual mantle, you have to have the discipline to stick to it and not quit. Just keep on keeping on. Go on going on. Last of all, Elisha had the faith to claim that spiritual authority. Now listen to this. <laughs> I've never seen anybody raptured. I don't know, what's going, I don't know what rapture day is going to be like, Mickey. <laughs> I, I, it's sort of scary to think about. You imagine standing here all of a sudden and tonight suppose the rapture took place and the dead in Christ would rise first and all of a sudden we'd be taken. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we'd be changed, fashioned like in this glorious body. Elisha and Elijah were walking along talking. I don't know what they were talking about. I'd like to have gotten in that conversation. And they were talking and all of a sudden this whirlwind came down from heaven and here were the chariot of fire and the horses of fire and Elisha, Elijah got on board and Elisha saw him taken away. Much like the disciples saw Jesus taken away into heaven in a cloud. And I guess Elisha just stood there a little while weeping for joy, weeping over the separation like we do at a grave. And then he turned back by himself and he noticed the mantle had fallen. And he picked up the mantle of Elijah. He took his own clothes and tore them. He said, I don't need this anymore. 
these old tattered garments. I'm going to put on mantle of Elijah. He went down to the Jordan River. And by faith, he took that mantle and smote the waters of the Jordan. And the river went back. And he walked across on dry land. He had the faith to claim that mantle. Now, beloved, God doesn't lasso you and pull you in. He sends out a lifeline. And he says, come on. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But he said, you're the lights of the world. Let the lower lights be burning. Send a gleam across the wave. I was out on the Mediterranean Sea at night. A number of years ago. And as we came into the harbor of Tel Aviv. I noticed one place just seemed dark, looked like the ship was going into that dark place. And over here were a lot of lights. And the ship changed course and went toward those lights. And I was standing on the deck and somebody on the deck said, those are the lower lights. And it helps the captain to know where to guide the ship. Beloved, you and I are the lower lights along the way. He's the light. But Jesus needs you and me 